This is NPR Illinois. I'm Michelle Ackles. Illinois lawmakers are back in Springfield today with some potential fireworks overspending on the horizon. Alex Stegman has more. The long march toward next month's primary election continues. Much of lawmakers' time has been spent so far introducing bills and preparing for post-election work. They spend significantly more time at the Capitol starting in March. This month, the focus is Governor J.B. Pritzker's annual State of the State and Budget Address, happening tomorrow at noon. Expects some major policy disagreements to surface. The governor's Office of Management and Budget predicted a deficit next year as education, pension, and other costs continue to rise. I'm Alex Dagman. The federal government has sent out letters to the governors of 44 states, including Illinois, Indiana, and Missouri. It's calling for them to improve efficiency for food assistance applications. Natalie Krebs reports. The letters are from USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack. They are regarding applications for benefits under the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP. They were sent out to states that are making too many payment errors and not processing enough applications in a timely manner, according to federal standards. Alicia Hugelay is with the think tank Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. She says most states are still trying to get their programs on track due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I think this letter is really trying to get a message to states that hey, we recognize you did a great job during the pandemic, you kept benefits going, and we now have to figure out how to get to back to normal order and normal operations. In the letters, the USDA offers states resources and assistance to improve their SNAP metrics. Natalie Krebs, Side Effects Public Media. Lawyers for a group of voters objecting to Donald Trump's candidacy in Illinois appeared in a Chicago courtroom Friday to argue the case. The case revolves around whether Trump is eligible to run in Illinois, and the objectors point to a provision in the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution as grounds to kick him off the ballot. Objectors say Trump engaged in an insurrection and is therefore disqualified. A similar argument went before the nation's high court week in a case from last week, in a case from Colorado, no date has been set for justices to rule on that case. Friday's arguments focused on whether the Illinois State Board of Elections made a mistake in allowing Trump to appear on the March 19th primary ballot. Attorneys for the Trump campaign say the issue is political and there is no law to keep the former president from running. The Illinois Attorney General is warning of voting scams as people begin casting ballots for the upcoming primary election. Early voting is now underway in Illinois. Attorney General Kwame Raoul recently sent a warning letter to a company accused of targeting New Hampshire voters with misinformation. The company is accused of using AI to generate robocalls with President Joe Biden's voice to discourage voters from participating in the primary. Raoul is a member of the bipartisan task force, which found the company also spoofed calls, making them appear as though they were from a legitimate political officials and gave potential voters wrong information about election and voting. It is 6.07. This is NPR. It is 6.49. You're listening to NPR Illinois. Julie Benson of Springfield has been helping the homeless for eight years. She believes it was divine intervention that led her on this path. Maureen McKinney interviewed her as part of our ongoing series, Unsheltered. Benson, a 63-year-old former Henson Robinson Company employee, has won national and local awards for her efforts. She takes donations of money and goods through her Facebook page called Helping the Homeless in Springfield, Illinois. Tell me how your efforts with the homeless started. January 24th of 2016, I was on my way to church. had God whisper in my ear that I was going to help the homeless people. I always thought when people said things like that, that 
<laughs> they were either crazy or making it up. But God did speak into my ear. He told my fellow churchgoers, and they said, well, what do you know about the homeless people? And I said, nothing. I went home and started a Facebook page called Helping the Homeless in Springfield, Illinois. I ended up for about a month receiving hats, gloves, hand warmers, scarves. I went downtown to try to find some homeless people. Of course, I didn't know who I was looking for. People started walking by me, and I just asked if they needed anything to keep warm for quite a while until they knew who I was and word spread. They're very skeptical. How much are you charging for this stuff? I'm not charging anything. People have donated it. It's free. I'm here to give it out to help you out. Donations just started flowing in. It evolved into me retiring when I was 58. My retirement gift from work was a cargo van. So I started filling up the cargo van with donations. Do you have a sense of roughly how many people you've helped? Oh, wow. Hundreds. I have a part and the people who donate have a part. Not all of them want to meet up with people, but their part is equally as important because I couldn't do this without the community. And I'm talking Springfield and all the little towns around. I have this whole network going on, uh, reaching out to me. The whole networking thing, I match people up to each other. By no stretch is this a, a me thing, it's a we thing. Uh, it's a God thing first. I, I go out seven days a week. I go out at all hours. I take food to people who are on the street. I take sleeping bags, blankets, uh, you know, long underwear, socks. And I am overwhelmed with messages and voicemails and posts on my Facebook page. I have this, I have that, I have silverware, I have dishes, I have a bed. And I will never call anybody and say, can you do this? Because I don't know what's going on in their life. I post things on Facebook, it's totally at will. I don't solicit people for money. They send me money because they know that things are getting done. And I work with what I get. I have no monetary goal. Whatever I get, I work within those guidelines. I don't purchase things that I get donated. Some of the agencies will reach out to me. I'm, I'm kind of a Band-Aid. I'm the person that people call when they want to go home. They don't want to live here anymore. They, they're tired of being homeless. They've got family that have reached out to them. They want to go home. I've sent people to Florida and Tennessee and Arkansas and Michigan and Wisconsin and Arizona. Most of the churches don't do those things. And the agencies don't do those things. I can do things that some of the agencies can't do. Everybody who's on the street has a different problem. And I don't want to be locked into just doing this. Can you tell me some of the problems that the homeless people you've dealt with have had? Some of them had sexual abuse by a family member or a a neighbor or uh, somebody that, that was trusted uh, toward them. That's a huge traumatic thing in people's lives. Women are raped on the street. They don't always come forward to get the police involved because 
sometimes the person who is doing the raping is so popular among the men that the woman is afraid to come forward because of the backlash. Fentanyl is terrible on the street. It, it's just known amongst the homeless community. You know, they grieve their own people dying. Alcohol abuse, I, I've had some of them tell me that they drank when they were in their teens with their father. Who does that? Some of them did drugs with their parents. Who does that? People that are dysfunctional. So then society has to step up after that and help people who have these problems. Some of them are on the sex offender list. Some of them dated a girl that was 17 years old and parents were okay with it, but grandma didn't like it and pressed the issue and they go to prison for that. And then it follows them the rest of their life. Sometimes starting all over for people is really hard. I hear from them, I'm having a tough time starting over. I want to leave that life behind, but nobody will give me a chance. And they just keep getting knocked down. They can't get into housing for certain reasons. They can't get a job. They, they can't even get into a sober living house because sometimes there's not enough of them. And when you carry baggage with you, that's why they turn to drugs. Because it's momentarily, it's their way of forgetting their problems. And, and it's, it's tragic. It's, I mean, we've got, we've got more homeless people in this town than we did when I started eight years ago. We need to do better. We need to do better to get it manageable. It's generational dysfunction where it just keeps happening, you know, because people don't know better. Uh, some of the people that I work with um, don't know some basic life skills in order to function in a normal atmosphere. I never, never thought that there was so much trauma out there until I started working in the homeless community. It's rampant. What makes you think that the homeless population in Springfield has increased? Well, the number of phone calls that I get and people who are displaced constantly, and now it doesn't have anything to do with COVID. And I get at least one or two phone calls every day of somebody who's displaced. Some of them come here seeking help because for years and years and years, people were told Springfield's the place to go. They've got services. You're more of a, an individual here as opposed to trying to get services in Chicago where you're just another number. Um, and so people will come here. Well, um, you know, we're, we're kind of overwhelmed too right now. Um, lots and lots more young people on the street than there ever were. That was Julie Benson, founder of Helping the Homeless in Springfield, Illinois. You can read more about her efforts and how to contact her through our website at nprillinois.org.